0: Please remain standing as you're able, and will you follow after me as we recite what Jesus called the great commandment? Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Ahad, hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. The scripture uh, this morning is from Ecclesiastes, chapter 2, uh, beginning in verse 8, uh, words traditionally ascribed to King Solomon. I am asked for myself silver and gold, the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female servants and even a harem for myself, uh, which delights a man's heart. I became greater in Jerusalem than anyone ever before me. And in all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused nothing uh, that my heart wanted. My heart rejoiced in all of its labor. And this was the reward for all my toil when I surveyed all that my hands had done, when I looked at the toil, all that my toil had achieved, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing gained under the sun. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. I think a wise person learns from their own experience, but a truly wise person is able to learn from the experiences of others so you don't have to go through it yourself to learn the lesson. And that's part of the wonder and the beauty of the Bible is it allows us to learn from the experiences of other people. This morning we're all going to learn from the experience of Solomon and the issue before us is this. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to have everything you ever wanted and the power to do with all of that whatever you wanted? Have you ever wondered what that would be like? Well, you don't have to wonder because it's there in the scriptures. And it's there in the life of Solomon. As one writer said, it's almost like God allowed Solomon to go into the lab and cook a a grand experiment where Solomon could deny himself nothing, have it all, and just see what would happen if you mixed all of that together. What would happen if you always went after more? You probably remember the words uh, many, many, many years ago from John D. Rockefeller Sr. They asked him one time, how much is enough? And his response was, just a little bit more. A little bit more. What happens in the pursuit of more? And the biblical answer is when Solomon got in that lab, it blew up. It blew up and what we see are two things. First of all, Solomon's own conclusion about his life is that basically it was wasted. It was meaningless. Vanity of vanities, he says, in another place. It's, just, it's all worth nothing. And then the conclusion about his people, if you read the Bible closely after the reign of Solomon, you find out that because of his rule and its effect, a once mighty nation that had reached the zenith of its power under Solomon Crumbled, split in two, and eventually fell prey. One uh, part of the empire to Assyria and another part of the empire to Babylon, and people were carted away into exile. The verdict is this more will never be enough. If we are not content with who we are and what we have where we are, more will not solve the situation. It didn't work for Solomon. It's not likely, therefore, I want to just suggest this morning when I look at Solomon and his pursuit of more, uh, four things that strike me about the pursuit of trying to acquire more things for our life. Uh, The first one is this, is I think when we're trying to acquire more or when we're just uh, thinking about another acquisition, we need to remember this, that assets always are also liabilities, Because whatever you gain then you've got to hold on to. And so what happened was Solomon got all this stuff and had this unbelievable palace and had this large harem and had so much. And then what he had to do is he had to tax the people heavily to support his lifestyle and he had to draft on on an annual basis, you'll read that each of the 12 tribes had to support Solomon with their sons to be slaves to Solomon for a period of time to be a part of his massive building projects. In order to keep his empire going, Solomon had to oppress his own people. He actually became as bad as the Pharaoh from whom they had escaped 500 years earlier. We learn that assets in many ways, are liabilities because you have to try to hold them. I was at dinner a long time ago, and two men were having a discussion at the table next to me, and I'll never forget what one of them said. One of them said this to his friend. He said, I don't own my house, it owns me. Assets can sometimes be liabilities. Randy Alcorn, in his book The Treasure Principle, talks about traveling one day. He's in an airport, and he meets a wealthy man. They start having a discussion, and the wealthy man laments that this was his one free weekend and he had to use it to go to Florida to check on one of his three vacation homes. Assets, they can also be a problem. You know the legend of the King of Siam, right? When the King of Siam had an enemy, what he would do to destroy that enemy is he'd bankrupt the enemy by giving the enemy a white elephant. And then this beautiful white elephant, the enemy now had to to feed. And so the enemy then... Uh, would spend all of their money feeding the elephant because if the king gave you a gift, you couldn't dare let it die. And it would bankrupt his enemies with this white elephant. This amazingly beautiful asset became quite a liability. Now, I know some of us in here are probably becoming fans of, or at least uh, interested in Queen Victoria. You may have heard this story that when Queen Victoria was going to go visit Scotland one time, there was, uh, she was going to a person's house, and he was hoping to impress Queen Victoria and get uh, a title for himself, uh, get land and a title. So what he did is he completely refurbished, just about bankrupted himself, refurbishing the upstairs of his castle so Queen Victoria would have the upstairs for her exclusive use when she came to visit. Of course, the problem was Queen Victoria was deathly afraid of being trapped upstairs by a fire and refused to live upstairs anywhere. All of this money down the drain, and if you know the way the story ends, he didn't get land or title either. Assets sometimes are like that. They become liabilities. Uh, they, uh, they don't deliver what they're promised. But also, assets don't tend to last uh, as long as we might think, we we find that our assets really in some ways are quite temporary. Uh, 22 years ago this month, the bishop called and asked uh, me to pray over whether I would come to Alamo Heights and become the new pastor. And so I hadn't met any of you all, and uh, but I came over here for meetings, so I have to tell you, not knowing any of the people, what was most impressive to me was the roof. Because, I don't know if you remember those days 22 years ago, you could drive down 281 down, downtown and almost be blinded by the sun bouncing off our roof. It was amazing. It reminded me of the scripture passage where Jesus invited the people to be a city on a hill. And I thought, well, there you go. <laughs> you know what happened Monday morning? I came to work. Do you know where that roof was? It was in the parking lot. Whatever you have. May not last as long as you think. Uh, Tomorrow night, I'm uh, going to a retreat center for a conference. And I'll tell you what I will not do. Yesterday, my wife and I went to Lowe's because, you know, the weather was nice, so everybody was there. And bought plants. And she put them in the ground. I watched the game. Um, But, you know, I was surprised how much those plants cost. But I assure you, I'm not buying those plants and taking them to the retreat center and planting them there before I leave because I'm only staying one night, they're not going with me. In the same way, Randy Alcorn suggests a lot of the money that we spend on the pursuits of ourselves for the very short time we're on earth are, he said, like refurbishing the Motel 6 that you're spending one night in. It makes no sense because it's not going with you. Assets, can become liabilities to maintain they don't last they actually are not neutral in their effect on us and i think we're beginning to figure that out remember the case of the of the teen in the dallas fort worth area who uh, uh, was involved uh, in an intoxication manslaughter and remember his lawyer's defense was actually it was his parents fault they had spoiled him he was suffering from affluenza we might have chuckled about that, but remember some years ago, PBS actually did a documentary on affluenza. There is some sort of deleterious effect of going after and acquiring all these possessions. Now, finally, Solomon never mentions this, but I assure you the prophets in Solomon's day knew this, that one of the problems with acquiring more was this then a lot of what you are acquiring could be better used for the poor. I believe it was Gandhi who said years ago, there's enough on this planet for everyone's need, but there's not enough for everyone's greed. Author Frank J. Hanna wrote a book, What Your Money Means, an entity distinguished between essential and non-essential wealth. Essential wealth we use to, to, to have shelter, to have food, to have clothing, to educate our, our children, uh, uh, help our, our grandchildren, uh, and, and enjoy uh, the basics of life. But he said, past that, he said, that's non-essential wealth. And he said this. It was quite startling to me, but I believe biblically it's true. He said, your non-essential wealth And my non-essential wealth belongs to the poor. That's where it needs to be going. And when I'm pouring it into pursuit of more, it's not going over there. There was a New Jersey philanthropist uh, several uh, years ago. And at the end of his life, they found out he had given $600 million to charity. And they asked him once, uh, they totaled that up, and before he died, they asked him, How did you do that? And he said, You can only wear one pair of shoes at a time. He'd figured out the difference between essential and non essential, and I'm glad he never looked in my closet, in my gated community. Essential and non essential. I don't have the answer, but I think it's worth asking the question because Solomon's life is clear proof that the unbounded, unchecked pursuit of more is dangerous to ourselves and dangerous to those who love us. So here's my suggestion this morning. Three quick things before I quit. First thing I'd suggest is it's probably a good idea to start getting rid of some of our stuff. I think it's just probably not a bad practice. A friend of mine uh, uh, used to play uh, canasta with her grandmother. And her grandmother always won. And so she asked her grandmother, you know, what's the secret? Why aren't you so good? She said, I know what and when to discard. She knows what cards to give up and when to do that. And I think that may be a gift that uh, a lot of us might need in my life uh, in the past five years both of my parents have passed away and then my uh, my wife's father and stepmother both passed away and i want to tell you we've gone through a lot of stuff so we're going through our stuff now so our kids don't have to go through our stuff because we got lots of stuff Do you know in san antonio i just heard the statistic you may have heard it there is uh, like a storage unit for every family in san antonio There's that many of them in our city. I heard about a birthday party recently. And when you go to the birthday party, you went on the condition not that you bring a gift, but rather that you go into the house and take something home with you. (laughs) So my first suggestion is maybe we start thinking about, could somebody use our stuff? I could plug the mops rummage sale here. Um, Could somebody use our stuff? Second thing is just giving in general, I think, helps us. If, if the pursuit of more has a, a negative effect, how can we have a positive effect? And the, and the opposite would be maybe giving more might do it. Uh, you probably heard about this experiment on a college campus. They took 20 uh, students, put them in two groups of 10, and gave every one of them $20. And for the first group of 10, they said, all right, tomorrow we want you to take that $20 and do something for yourself. Spend it on yourself. Splurge for that. The only deal is this. I want you, when you get up in the morning, to journal about how you're feeling, how you're doing. Then after you've bought something for yourself, I want you to record how you're doing with that, how you're feeling. And then at the end of the day, before you go to bed, I want you to journal how you're feeling. Then the other group of of 10 was given $20, but a different assignment. We want you to take this and go spend it on somebody else. Go give it to someone who needs it. The same deal, and of course you probably know the results because now they're experimenting and doing this all over the world. The 10 that took the $20 and spent it on somebody else came away so much more satisfied than the people who went and splurged and got something for themselves. Now It's appropriate from time to time to do something for yourself, but as a lifestyle, imagine the possibilities of generosity third and final suggestion is probably uh, see coming in and leaving this morning there's these baskets and I'd invite you to fill out an estimate of giving card it's not a contract it's a commitment that you make to yourself and say you know this year this year my pursuits are going to be adjusted don't know if you saw this it was in a newspaper in india but got picked up here in the states In the India Times, this past week, there's a story about a boy about a month ago that got bitten by a wild dog, got very ill, went to the hospital. Uh, They had to put him on a ventilator. And then he wasn't getting better, and the doctors finally made the decision with the family to take him off the ventilator. And he, he wasn't breathing. So as they do in India, they planned his funeral immediately. So they loaded him in the back of the family wagon, family car, and they began to drive the teenage boy to the funeral home and to his funeral when all of a sudden he woke up and started breathing. I want to suggest gently this because I'm not talking to you, I'm talking to me. It is possible that our pursuit of more is killing us. And I guess the question is, will we wake up in time?